Yeah, we are over at Warehouse Row, um, and for sure I have the lovely Meredith uh, River City Poet with me. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really excited to be doing this again. Yes, indeed. Um, yes, 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 yes. I'm excited for you to um, be with us. And yeah. so, again, to uh, to our listeners, um, I would say viewers, but you're not really viewing this, <laughs> um, except in your mind. Uh, thanks for being with us uh, here at Melanin is Human, where we are facing the melanin and embracing being human. And so, again, another one of our guests today is actually a second timer. So you can follow Meredith on her social media, Instagram, at River City Street Poet. That's River City Street Poet. That's her Instagram handle. Uh, check out her, her work and just support, you know. She's, at the end of the day, she's a lot of things, but she's a human being, just like me and just like you. So um, without further ado, let's just get right into it. I have yeah. a question for you. Okay, I'm ready. So the question I wanted to ask you while, while in the coffee shop mm-hmm. was, um, shoot, I'm blanking. I just, I just forgot the <laughs> question. Give me a second. Okay, it'll um, come back. It'll come it's, back. Uh, yes. So, so, so what, what do you hope, just share with us about the dream. Because like, for those that don't know her, she's a creative, right? She's a creative. So um, what's your like dream with your art, with your craft? Oh, and man. tell us about your craft. Uh, so I think I, I've always wanted to be a creator. When I was little, mm-hmm. I used to like make books. I would write books and draw and sew them up and bind them. So. Uh, storytelling is something that I'm really passionate about. Okay. And I think uh, my dream is to just go find the stories that need to be told and tell them to as many people as possible. And that's what street poetry has done for me because I think people don't realize that they have a story to tell until they start talking to me and I kind of translate, curate what they're saying onto a piece of paper and all of a sudden they realize that their story also is important and it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I guess... I, I don't need to be, you know, a New York Times like bestseller, bestseller mm-hmm. or you know, be famous. I think I just want my words to be read by as many pe- as people as possible, right? And to and to experience as many people as possible. So as long as I get to do that, and uh, honestly, I don't want to make it a job because at, at some point it will lose the luster and the magic that it has. So. I, w- I want to maintain a balance of just having a good relationship with art and and not, um, you know, be beholden to if it makes me money or if I'm paying my mortgage with it. Right. Um, so as long as it continues to be fun, I will continue doing it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's there's definitely um, a lot to be said when you're doing doing like a labor of love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, and it, it's taxing. And if it was something that was um, mechanical or rote, it would be easier to do. But because I pour like so much effort and energy and passion into everything that I write, it it is something that I have to kind of step back and like recharge myself mm-hmm. afterwards. So um, that that is something I have to keep in mind too, is to not reach a burnout level, you know, right. with that. So what, what are some of the things in place um, that helps kind of guard and protect uh, that labor of love? 
Um, I think I, I think just knowing my limitations and knowing my personality, mm-hmm. like just logistically, when I go out with my typewriter, I know that I have a good three hours of like really um, being being able to be engaged with the community. And I get if I get to a point where I'm like tired or and I've gone out in the summer before where I get hot and. So it, I, I just have to put some parameters on how long I can feel emotionally engaged with people because I, want, I don't want to write something for someone that I just like, I don't know, that I had no emotion around. So right. I, knowing my limitations uh, when I write and also, um, and then as far as like, I actually, the most recent thing I've written is an editorial to my hometown newspaper. about some uh, race relations issues going on there. So in that emotional side, I have to rein it in because I can get really, like, fiery and passionate. So with that, instead of, you know, having to ration out my energy with uh, writing pieces like that, I have to pull, I have to, like, pump the brakes and be reminded that I'm not going to change anyone's mind by yelling at them. This is so, so I I, there, I do so many different types of writing, so I have to just put on a different hat every time I change up the writing. Yeah, interesting. Different types of writing. Yeah. Cool. So you did an editorial, mm-hmm. and then you do, of course, creative writing, poetry, mm-hmm. and such. Uh, what else type of writings do do you do? Well, the writing that pays the bills is actually technical writing, and that is the most boring of them all because. Right. I'm listening to recordings of subject matter experts. Right now, I'm listening to a company who makes cheese. So I write reports and memos about their experimentation process and all this stuff. And it's it's boring in a way, but also interesting to see people's innovative ideas, even if it is about cheese. So that that's... I still write for a living, but it's a little more dry. So then I balance it out with the poetry when I'm okay. tired of writing memos. But I'm really grateful that I have a career in writing completely. My side hustle, my main hustle, it's all writing related. So I can't really complain. Right. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. So what's your medium of writing? Um, like I primary. Well. I I would say I like poetry best, and actually that's the thing I've come into most recently. I think a long time okay. ago I was afraid to call myself a poet mm-hmm. because that seems like something you have to die first before <laughs> someone considers you that. So it took me a long time to be like, oh, yeah, I, I consider myself a poet. Um, right. And also to understand that there are no constraints to poetry. You don't have to always have a certain rhyme and meter. You yes. can It can be free verse. It can be like just... Uh, just this monologue you're mm-hmm. sitting and writing and so I think poetry is freeing and it's as diverse as you know the people delivering it so I think that's my favorite right now um, and it's the most new to me so I'm still learning about it yeah that is awesome yeah. I literally thought somebody just fell. Um, <laughs> yes because I also love poetry and like that's where I tend to um that's how I tend to express myself mm-hmm. um, in metaphors and as well as uh, like rhyming. Yeah. I am a sucker for rhyming. Yes. Um, I know, I remember uh, reading about uh, some stuff about poetry and saying, and, 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 and the author was saying how like uh, rhyming could can at times 
make you seem like an amateur. Yes. And then, and then I was thinking to myself, oh my God, is he serious? Like, I mean, or, you know, is, is the author serious, like, right now? Because, like, some of the best poets, right? Yeah. Rhyme. Yeah. Do you know Shakespeare? Mm-hmm. He was a rhymer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite writer, uh, uh, Waldo. Uh, Emerson, uh, f- Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ralph, thank you, yeah. thank you, Ralph Waldo oh, Ralph. Emerson. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, he was also like a rhymer. Yeah, right? he was also a um, essayist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he wrote essays, and he, um, yeah. But for sure, he he was a rhymer. You mm-hmm. and you I think. Saying? Well, I think there's a there's a line between like cheesy rhymes, like roses are red, violets are blue, that stuff that's we're so used to, it, to hear, used to hearing, and bored by right but then there's tasteful rhyming and also i think poetry can be playful like where you have some rhymes somewhere and then you don't in some places or a lot of like alliteration or wordplay or so i I think if you mix it up and keep readers interested that's good and i i mean Mm -hmm. i use rhymes all the time right just now (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) inadvertent right 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 (laughs) Man, so 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 speaking about poetry, speaking okay. about you know the different things that you write, technical and also the more creative. Mm-hmm. Do you have a piece for us that you can? Um, I do. That, that you love to share with I us. I do. Perfect. I'm I'm gonna read something, um, just to say, I guess relevant um, with what's going on in the world right now. I think, I think it's really important um, when artists have a platform to be um, outspoken about what matters Hmm. so the first thing i posted uh, after george floyd's murder was uh, a poem to basically let every one of my followers know that black lives matter uh appreciate that appreciate that so (laughs) so um i'm gonna read the post that i wrote Uh, it's called on black lives and mattering Why does fairness we learn as children fade away along with imagination and give way to malice and divisiveness, where lighter skin always wins? May we recapture justice and wave it like we do our scribbled protest signs in the face of racism, both the outward kind and the kind that lurks in the hearts of the comfortable. May say their names, rest, knowing that they have ignited unrest in the hearts of millions. Wow, wow, wow. Snap it up, guys. Snap it up. <laughs> Snap it up. Thank you. Um, there's so much. So, like, I'm tempted to dive in a little deeper into your um, craft okay. before getting into, like, a bit of your story. Okay. Um, is that okay? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, perfect. So, um, what was, 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 your, was the creative process behind that? Um, your normal process or was or, or, or was there any um, difference? I think there there are some poems like that where I just have this out of body experience where mm-hmm. like I'm I have such a heightened amount of emotion right. that I sit and write and my my pencil just doesn't leave the paper. It's it gets written and I don't edit it. I kind of um, use uh, just this free thinking and right. um, roll with what it was that I was like expressing emotion about at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when I will be a little more uh, formulaic about how I write things, but when I'm really emotional about something, I 
um, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe my creative process because it's, I, I like to always like blame it on the muse. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I muse goes by, I capture it, write it down. Mm -hmm. And also it's a way for me to not sound egotistical because it's like it wasn't me that did it I just was gifted this muse that floated by right. and I grabbed it someone else could have but I, I got to it at the time and was able to write something so right. um, I kind of learned that concept from one of my favorite authors Elizabeth Gilbert um, talking about creativity in the muse and how if you if you don't like uh, acknowledge that muse then yeah. someone else gets to so um, not not to make it sound, this process sounds so fluffy and um, unattainable, but I really do believe it's a it's a magical concept. Yeah. But then there are sometimes where I hear a word and I'm like, oh, I like that word. I want to incorporate that into a poem, and mm-hmm. I build a poem around this word that either right. is like has an auditory kind of feel that I like, or a rhythm or rolls off the tongue like I like, and mm-hmm. I'll just or I'll be infatuated with the stars one night and write something about that so it really depends on the the, on my mood yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah that's awesome yeah that's really awesome um so do you write on pencil first and then you um translate into digital i do well i i love analog so i always grew up even in um college i took notes with a pencil and in a notebook and never really used a computer I only did it at the very end to like type out my essays but yeah I love writing and that that tactile feeling of writing and then the typewriter I mean talk about a tactile experience that is like just it's awesome and the sound and everything but I have to digitize it for Instagram so I use you know some programs to put it on there but my uh, original ideas are captured and like and recorded with a pencil or a pen or on the typewriter right. first yeah because wow. it feels organic that way mm-hmm. um so and that's just a personal preference so 100%. yeah i'm old old soul in that way i guess old you would soul. say yeah right. not old school yeah. old soul. yeah yeah i like that yeah. i like that uh speaking of uh you right as a as this poet poetess right uh yeah likes the tact- tactile experience right mm-hmm. the old soul fashioned way mm-hmm. of capturing an idea right an expression yeah. um writing both like technical and creative do you have you do you have any published like works um aside from articles like do you have uh, maybe an anthology or something that we could well the first enjoy? thing i ever got published is out of print now because i had issues with the with the publisher at the time it was kind of kind of an an unsettling way to come out of the gate with a first book so that first edition is out there and the books exist but it's not for sale anymore but it was a um the only fiction I've ever written because this publisher at the time was only commissioning fiction so it was like fantasy fiction which is not my gig but but I knew that if I wanted to kind of get in with her Uh, and be like her inaugural book that I had to write Mm -hmm. fantasy fiction um, so it's not the thing I'm most proud of, but it, it was a great first. I mean, I the book was published, so it was exactly. great. Um, I think the thing I'm most proud of is the second, and the only other thing that I've published was um, a book about 
the intersection of faith and sexuality in the South and me coming Whoa. out. And so that was written in 2017. I got married in 2017. Okay. Toured the book that year for six months, went around to different colleges and um, college ministries and churches. And I mean, anyone who would have me, people's homes, like yeah. groups, um, to talk about the the trauma of of uh, growing up in a kind of an oppressive church and then coming out to a family that wasn't accepting and right. um, choosing to stay in the South and yeah. being okay with myself. So I, that was a really tough journey because I was, every time I was getting up and speaking, it was about myself. It wasn't about a piece of fiction that I could separate from me. I had to constantly relive hurtful things that had happened for six months. I toured that book and I reached this wall where I was like, okay, I can't talk about this anymore. It's so hard. Um, Interesting. So I also put that to rest. And when I did, it's so interesting how um, these chapters of my life kind of form without right. my knowing. But <laughs> I put that book aside because it was becoming her, just um, just reopening a wound that I right. was tired of being and pouring right. salt in it again right. and again. Right. Um, so I closed that. And then um, my wife and I went to New Orleans for our anniversary and I met a street oh. poet there. And they wrote a poem for us. And I was, I loved it because I thought, so the past two years I've been working on this book, writing it, editing it, touring it, and it's been self-serving in a way, like Mm -hmm. it's about me. But this experience with this street poet was this person, it wasn't about them. They were asking questions and engaging with us. And so I wanted to kind of reverse what I was doing with my writing and write for other people. And I was enamored by just that experience so my wife bought me a typewriter and I mean my life kind of changed after that and ever since then I've been writing for people yes and that has been really healing and cathartic to um I find and relate to people in all kinds of different ways and um just give the gift of writing to someone else so yeah the um so I have two books published, and the second one's still available. It's called Unseen, um, Intersecting Unseen. Faith and Sexuality in the Bible Belt. So that is still available, um, but it's hard to talk about now because I'm. It's a, it's a very like, a lot of pressure points there with right. that time in my life. But yeah, it's available still, and I get messages like residual messages from people all over the country about you know, them going through that time in their life too and needing some guidance. And so, yeah. It's just so much. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. It's It's a lot. Come on, Mary. Why you got to do this? (laughs) If it, honestly, if I didn't write, I'd go insane because I've got so much to untangle. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, they, they, they they do say writing really helps. Oh yeah, it is. It's It's like a great therapy. therapy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, me personally, I feel that poetry is as well, um, mm-hmm. is even better um, if you can attach it with, like, attach it to more than just words, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what poetry kind of opens up to. Mm-hmm. Is that, I agree. Um, you know, you can have anger. Mm-hmm. You can have the A-N-G-E-R. Yeah. But in poetry, you can have the ocean. A yeah. raging ocean, you yeah. know, like a storm, yeah, and, or in, in different things. And in that, I feel personally for me, my ex- own experience, um, 
it's been a little bit freeing and it's allowed me to view it from different angles yeah and therefore bringing mm-hmm. a bit more understanding mm-hmm. and um for the most part uh resolution mm-hmm. you know like uh, okay i'm at peace with it mm-hmm. moving on i i i do i really agree with with that and it resonates with me because i think attaching emotion to something concrete like that yes is that's how people begin to process things yes and when i meet people out in the street and they talk about something hurtful that's going on or they're like going through something in this renewal process and i may hear that they like gardening so of course i'm going to pull those uh, like growth metaphors out there nice. and like so when people Shoot. are able to see maybe connect two things that they've never thought of before right and i'm able to help them get there and yes. then like send them on their way mm-hmm. with that metaphor and something they can frame and put in their house and remember that they can attach emotion to something concrete and it helps them process it that's that's a gift i'm given yes i and i feel like i give poetry out but i really get the gift by by seeing this spark in people mm-hmm. that wasn't there before right i wrote something for them so it really is a gift to be able to make those connections and be yes. able to process that way like anger like a raging sea that's i mean that's wonderful you can see that and like confront it so Mm. yeah it's great yes so tough question for you Uh oh Uh -oh. (laughs) okay (laughs) do you think there's some way that that you can let me ask you this way um what would it take you to revisit um what you were doing earlier with uh, sexuality and uh, was it the intersection between faith and uh, faith and sexuality? Faith yeah, and sexuality. Yeah. Given the southern context, right? Yes. Yes. And su- so, what would it take for me to revisit that? Yes. Ooh, that's a good question. Yes. Um, because, mm-hmm. as you saying, I'm um, thinking. Yeah. I want to disagree with you that it was a selfish thing. Okay. Yeah, because let me explain. Okay. And let me know if, if, if you want to. Oh, no, I, okay, I want to okay. hear this yeah, perspective. Yeah, 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 because just last night I was with some friends. And um, one of them had been, uh, you know, um, had came out that he was, you know, a, a homosexual uh, for years. I don't yeah. even know. I just met him kind of formally last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been comfortable and he's, you know, grown and is at a comfortable place you know with, yeah, yeah. with his sexuality mm-hmm. however the other uh, the other person there um which uh, was like i knew more and was more of my friend right yeah um his was a bit more recent mm-hmm. and so they were both kind of talking about you know the challenges and and actually um the one that was more recent he he was actually you know starting to be a pastor and so um to give a bit more like context yeah um the denomination that we're a part of is Seven Day Adventist. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty, um, I don't want to use the terms conservative or liberal, but it's it's pretty, you know, it's... Traditional, yeah, maybe? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty traditional, yeah. um, especially along sexuality, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was starting to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And that's so, another layer of yes, conflict. Right, yeah. and, so, and so basically what, what, what I'm trying to say is, is that this week, earlier this week, 
a mutual friend of ours that went to the same university, a private uni- university, right? Adventist private university, um, had c- had came out. Yeah. Right. And so we and so they were talking about like their thoughts about you know um, what he's going through in his his like mental and emotional state. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden today we're talking in the book that you had published, the second book that that, that you published was dealing with something mm-hmm. that I feel that the that, that could really help these three friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah. I it it could. And I, so I think how um serendipitous, I guess. This yes. Is. And yeah. so I, I'm definitely going to send them the link. Okay. To oh, the book. awesome. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Thank Why you. not? You know, like like I don't have your I don't have your story. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's a huge part of it. I, I don't mean, have your story. Yeah. And so, like, I can't, I, I can't be like, hey, guys, you like, like, what can I tell them? You yeah. know, like, like some theory or some like principles of, you know, life, you know? Like, yeah. No, that's not yeah. how, how things work. And so mm-hmm. they need your story. And so, again, Meredith, I'm asking. Yes. Like, what would it take? Because I personally feel that 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 is amazing thank you yeah. it it requires a lot of um unpacking and uh i i think what i didn't realize while i was in the middle of writing and presenting that book is um there was a lot of deconstructing i needed to do with a lot of my belief systems like so much like pause, pause, yeah pause, pause. <laughs> deconstructing mm-hmm. of your beliefs mm-hmm. yeah guys if you guys ha- not if you guys have not done this recently, do it. Yeah, it, it's so helpful because I think we're so, it, it is ingrained to us, tradition is ingrained to us by our families, and I think that those are good in some respects, but when we don't allow ourselves to question things, right? Uh, I think it can be toxic after a while, and there was a lot of things in my religious upbringing and how I viewed history, and I can get into that more later, um, and my history and and stuff that I there were just a lot of things that uh, just needed to be dismantled first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I, something I really love that I heard from another one of my favorite authors Glennon Doyle and so I can't take credit for this is uh, the concept of remembering how if you break that word down it's remembering so getting the members of all all that (laughs) is you are constructed of interesting and like putting that all together and looking back and seeing what it is that makes you is is painful is hard wow remembering is hard yes and is as easy as it is for me to want to start my life at 2000 x and and move on and forget what happened and what painful things happened they all informed who i am and they informed my artwork now. And honestly, this may be kind of dark, but honestly, I, th- I attribute a lot of my best writing to pain, you know? Um, I, I don't write as much when I'm happy. happy. <laughs> yeah, that's Great. unfortunate. That's yeah. unfortunate. But no, like, I think one of the best um, sources of my uh, inspiration is sad music. Yeah, uh, yeah. Melancholy. Yeah. Me- yeah. Yeah, that word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Music. Um, because it just sobers me up. Mm-hmm. It just really mellows me out mm-hmm. and sobers me up at yeah. the same time. So sad music makes me happy. 
Um, yeah. You know, and in a weird but cool way. Yeah, um, I, I think so. I guess because it makes me creative, and I'm happy when I'm creative. So, you right? Can no, no, no. Get no, to no, it that sure, way. For yeah. sure, for sure. No, no. But like, um, to to your point about like pain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't know. I'm not like some type of religious expert, but um, a lot of religions. Let me just say that what I know for sure. So yeah. Christianity and Buddhism, right? Um, for sure they confront this whole problem or idea of pain. Yeah. Um, and I want to say, if it's not the main thing of the common religions of the world, it's definitely a a pillar of some sort. Yeah, of yeah. Of like, there's pain in this world. How are, you, how are we going to interact? How are we going mm-hmm. to explain it? And so, um, yeah, pain. Yeah. Pain, I think, is a valid source of good and creativity it is um, mm-hmm. yeah and so so that's what it's going to take yeah is is just like that intro uh inspection that 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 interior work and yeah. that remembering mm-hmm. it is and it is work and it is work um those <clears throat> those things and i'm learning that it's not just it's not just our personal past that inform who we are right it's our 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 history as people right um ancestors and Nursing. who what and how they've informed us and especially now like yeah. n- looking back like a lot of people say that well i didn't do this mm. but you are a product of what was done let's talk about it Mary. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the yeah. cat is out of the hat <laughs> yeah i said it um dr seuss yeah r.i.p <laughs> um do you do you mind if I tell you a little bit about my like uh, ancestry? I do not. I okay. Was, yeah, perfect. So you better talk, girl. You it, better and this preach. Is, this is so interesting to me, and I'm I'm still learning about my history on my dad's side. So yes. I am a direct descendant of twenty thousand Acadian people. Have you ever heard of the Acadian people before? No. Okay. So. Um. And this, I've got, there's so much to unpack here. I, I don't want to, like, talk forever. But no, please. just to give you a brief uh, idea. Yes. Way before um, Christopher Columbus and, you know, colonization. Yes. Um, a group of French people moved to Canada. Okay. And they integrated their lives with natives there. Serious. They're, like, so Canadian natives. I can't remember the tribe's name. Okay. But they integrated and lived and um, farmed and just mm-hmm. th- this idea of intermarrying and, and just learning from another culture instead of wiping them out um, happened. And they were called Acadians. And, How do you spell Acadian? Um, A-C-A-D-I-A-N-S, Acadians. Okay. So for about 150 years, they dwelled together, lived together, intermarried, um, and then in about, I think it's 1755, something happened called the Great Expulsion, where uh, the British came over, and it was the, the first example of ethnic cleansing on this continent, where they came over and were basically revolted that people intermarried with natives, and that, um, that and so they wiped them out. They, hmm. they pushed them out of that area mm-hmm. and only 
I mean, it was it was the first the first example of ethnic cleansing and genocide on the continent, right. and um, twenty thousand roughly of those people survived and were spread out all over uh, everywhere from Nova Scotia to Haiti. And then okay. they, most of them ended up in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is where my father is from. Okay. So. Okay. From, from what I've learned about that side of my family and what has informed me learning about our history is how, like, it, I am a product of, of uh, a people who was, like, driven out and a product of the first genocide of the continent Mm -hmm. um and and then people who were driven out and a lot of them uh actually uh, were like trickled down along the 13 colonies Mm -hmm. and were enslaved so there were such things as Acadian slaves also and then some of them but most of them eventually made it back or back around to New Orleans because the residents at the time needed farmers Mm -hmm. Um, and they knew how to do that because they had learned from the natives in Canada. Right. Um, so I think about all of this that happened way before the British colonization of America right. and um, the genocide of Native Americans and how that one group of, of people who like had figured it out, how mm-hmm. to coexist with another group and learn from them and how that the alternative to our American history could mm-hmm. have been, could have been that, like the British coming over and um, not like colonizing and and um, killing people and stuff. So I, I think about how what what it could have been right. because of my history and how that was like almost like the first domino of of supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I, and it's some things that I I wish uh, my parents knew because they they are very much in this like nationalistic mindset right. and not hmm. uh, in an all lives matter camp and oh Ye- colonization is just growth oh we don't have to talk about the genocide part it's just like growing mm-hmm. where uh, if you look at it our own history has scars of ethnic cleansing and yes. gentrification. I mean, not gentrification, but genocide yes. and being like this expulsion of people and scattering of people, mm-hmm. breaking up of families. Yes. And like, if we took time to look at our family histories and see what, what they went through right. and then see what we're okay with now, mm-hmm. I, that has informed a lot of how I think about current events because um, it directed like it directly affected my ancestors too right and I know I still hold I, I still am very much white I still have that privilege but but somewhere in my ancestry was were native people and people who got driven out for being different and um, so I try to look at that and it gives me a renewed understanding for what's going on just a, like a drop in the bucket of understanding of what um, it, uh, is happening in the United States now and maybe like how humbled I am to be talking on Juneteenth about this stuff mm-hmm. when it's really not my place right? because I'm very much white but I, I like we talked about last time we're all still learning mm-hmm. and I let my past inform 
you know, who I am now and my artwork now. And it, and it, um, allows me to relate. Um, so, so yeah, uh, just knowing that little bit about my story, even though I'm white and I understand that I still have way more privilege than a person of color, being able to look back on those pieces of history and say that, oh, that happened in my past. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it just really frames things up for me. And then to think what it must be like for, um, descendants of slaves in this country, Mm -hmm. uh, and how exponentially more painful that must be and how some of those feelings are disregarded. And, um, so like I said, all of this talking about that and that realization on, on Juneteenth is, uh, kind of hard, but mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, I, I just can't wait to learn, learn more about how a people's history yes. informs who they are and how they interact with people and how they create. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or right. As well as how they create and how they were created. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying about your parents. Mm -hmm. Um, how you wish that they knew a bit of like what you know right a Mm -hmm. bit of like where they came from Mm -hmm. Um, because it might have you know informed their their passions and their beliefs a bit better Mm -hmm. and so um, you said a lot of stuff man a lot of (laughs) good stuff that just brought me back to to, um, the poem that you had um read earlier and so the two lines that I really um that really just hit home to me were were uh where lighter skin always wins and then um the other one was um if it's kind of that comfortable may yes may and then you said you know say their names right mm-hmm. rest knowing that they have ignited unrest yes and so just that you know i mean you wrote it and so like you know what i'm saying like yeah the rest and the unrest and, yeah just you know, that contrast exactly yeah it's just it's just it's moving it is it's moving I mean, it's powerful and it's crazy how how much is packed mm-hmm. in that little space mm-hmm. um and you can look at the contrast in color and skin the contrast yes. in um, death and life and yes. resurrection and feeling um, unsettled it's just yeah I, I wanted and I think stark contrast is unsettling yes. so when people read it it's not it's not as smooth as it is like you're jerked back and forth between black white rest unrest and right. it's um, I wanted it to represent the discomfort that we should be feeling so and I don't think I did that consciously. That's the thing that I was telling you about earlier with mm-hmm. the with the muse. It's only I can only look back at it later and say, This is what I just was doing and I couldn't help it. Right. So again, that's why it's hard for me to talk about my writing process because I really don't know what it is. <laughs> right. No, I totally I totally understand that. Nevertheless, I'm still super grateful oh, thank for you. it. Thank you. For that writing process and that bit of mystery. Yeah, and I'm humbled that you shared it. I remember opening my phone and getting the notification that you shared it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I, 
I, it was like this validation to me. I was like, oh, this must be a good poem. Oh, no, 100%. Because Francie shared it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not because it's a good poem. That's why I shared it. Like, I yeah. shared it because it's a good poem. Yeah. Oh, thanks. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff. Um, <laughs> but so so kind of kind of unpack for us about why why you think knowing your family's history right of the Acadians mm-hmm. um, how that would have impacted and informed your parents and um, yeah and also like how was that growing up you know I actually remember my dad talk my dad is very very proud of his family history but I don't nice. think I don't think he has uh, dug deep enough to see the parallels between the past and the present hmm. and so I was told the story growing up. I've always known the story, but it wasn't until I started digging deeper for myself mm-hmm. to see that it wasn't just French people got kicked out and live in New Orleans now. Yay, Yay Cajun right. food. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love and, Cajun and, food so much. <laughs> me too. And that's, and that's history, right? Yeah. That, that's how is. history is yeah. in most cases and in that format. Yeah. But what I wasn't taught was. Uh, um, the idea of being able to go into a place and not, you know, kill native people, mm. uh, learn from them. What I what I didn't learn was um, that this was the first example of ethnic cleansing and how that continues to happen. Mm-hmm. Conti- like when people say history repeats itself, it sounds rhetorical, but it's so true. Right. And I think those like those like human rights issues that I miss about learning about the Acadians and expulsion and all of that. Right. Um, uh, those were huge details left out. And that's why learning your history is so important and learning it for yourself is so important instead of letting someone else tell you what your history is. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I think what people miss are the, the human human rights issues specifically with the Acadians. And it's not a well-known story. I mean, I don't know anybody else who knows about the great expulsion of 1755, you know, right? but it's so important because it was, it kind of almost set the scene for what would happen in the country below and what havoc that has wreaked yes. on us as yes. the United States. So I urge people to, learn their history and not just learn it in a storybook format, but learn about what human rights were violated. Right. Because at the end of the day, right, on, on Juneteenth, um, civil rights is all about human rights. Yeah. And something super interesting that I recently found out um, involving the Haitian Revolution um, was that um, it said that, you know, during that, Haitian, during that revolution that the, the slaves that revolted had like massacred all the whites right all the Mm -hmm. non-blacks however that's not true yeah um because a part of a part of the the revolt um there were whites that were helping right Mm -hmm. amongst amongst the slaves amongst the enslaved um but something that's that was super interesting was that in in like after after the revolution right after the blacks or the slaves won right Mm -hmm. um or were successful um basically what happened is is that the citizenship right of of the new country mm-hmm. uh or republic um 
basically everybody was everybody that was there everybody that was so you, like a citizen right um, that was part of this new founded nation was considered black yeah and so um, even if you were like white or if you were mulatto or even if you were black right like everybody was considered black mm-hmm. and it's like super interesting super telling because it it took black from being this negative thing and turned it into like a positive thing yeah and also it took it off of just as like a surface thing right yeah uh-huh. it was no longer like something that you could see or control but it was bigger mm-hmm. than that yeah yeah it was bigger than that mm-hmm. and i feel that's what i'm hearing from from you and uh, um from your history yeah and your story is that um the things that's happening present like it should be in like our perspective should enlarge in mm-hmm. or like you know broaden up a little bit mm-hmm. and we should analyze our own past oh yeah so that we can discover parallels yeah um mm-hmm. because what's happening now dang it's like i'm trying to find the words here so i'm just gonna let you talk because well, like i'm not I'm i not i don't know where you're going with that particularly but i i don't know why any of us are shocked at what's going on right now because right. it's happened so many times before right um so um yeah i and i get really fired up sometimes because i think our generation uh, we're the ones who can maybe stop this cycle right because if i'm not mistaken doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is right. insanity it is insanity yeah. so if our generation can stop it mm-hmm. i i i can't imagine what the next generation will be like just right. um a wholesome integrated like i don't know tolerant bunch of kids yeah and i and i see that i feel like we're on the we're on that we're in that great divide yes bridging the gap between two generations and I know it's hard work, but I'm here for it. Yeah. So. Hundred percent. Yeah. That's what like in in I and I believe that it's all a conversation. Mm-hmm. It starts between two. Oh yeah, yeah. It starts between two before it can impact like millions and, mm-hmm. and affect millions. You know. Yeah. Um, and so if you're out there listening, uh, I really invite you to. Um, talk about these things mm-hmm. you know talk about tough things yeah don't just stay behind your screen right for sure do your little posting right yeah <laughs> yeah but <laughs> go into the real world um mm-hmm. pick up your phone make that phone call mm-hmm. um reach out to that friend or, or that neighbor or that family member and just talk about about like how you really feel mm-hmm. and be open try to really open up your like perspective and in mm-hmm. your thoughts um to see if whether um you didn't know something or whether like meredith meredith has shared um maybe you need to uh shoot what's that thing about deconstructing, deconstructing yeah. your beliefs uh deconstructing your traditions right mm-hmm. uh because it's so crucial it so is. crucial so yeah. crucial you, I don't think you can grow without being broken first wow. so 
up. I'm Meredith. I want to be perfect. I don't want to get broken. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that circles back to what we were talking about with pain. Yes. And growth is painful. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so uh, earlier, a cat was let out the bag. Can you talk about like white privilege, right, quick? And your understanding of of white privilege being being a you know this you know just a, appearance wise look you know just yeah, like a like white person. You I know? I am. I mean, maybe back in the 1600s I have native heritage and mm-hmm. my ancestors made a pit stop in Haiti so <laughs> Yo, who knows hey, what's up? Yeah. shout out shout <laughs> yeah, out bro so, shout out. <laughs> uh, so I don't really know what kind of like smattering of other things that I have of course in me, but I am white yes okay and I'm only recently understanding what white privilege is and I'm 32 okay and I so I would I used to say like so my dad started his own business at 17. Yo, he, shout out to him. Yeah, he, I mean, I am I am such a proud daughter. He worked so hard, like, and still is doing that job today. He's uh, 60, so he- He's not stopping. Yeah, he was out in the field with his dad, uh, retreading tires for farmers and okay. truck drivers and built this big business, and, and I'm so proud of him, and I've always, and I talk about how when I was younger, my, uh, mom only had $25 a week to buy groceries mm-hmm. and I don't know how we survived on that. I wow. can't imagine like crazy. how we lived and while my dad was building his business and how we struggled and we were in poverty and like, and, but still, and I know, I understand there's a huge overlap between race and class. Yes. But if you take someone who's white in poverty and someone who's black in poverty like there there is still some privilege there mm-hmm. with your white skin and and even though my dad struggled owning and starting his business he was supported because he was a white man in a white county mm-hmm. had he been a black man trying to start a business in a agriculturally like uh, heavy white heavy population mm-hmm. would that business have gotten off the ground probably not so i think about how my dad the privilege my dad had just by being a white man right and how um and that's been hard for me to learn because i'm like oh we struggled too but we didn't in the grand scheme of things right you know so it's been i've had to check that privilege and understand that right even though classism and poverty is still a huge deal Mm -hmm. no matter what color you are Mm -hmm. it disproportionately affects people of color and uh, learning that um, that this crazy Venn diagram and understanding where all the overlaps are and where I fall and um, is has been really important and I and I also understand that um, there are some things like being a woman and a queer woman yeah there there are some notches I fall down the rung you know yes. I I'm I'm discriminated against in some ways yes but at the end of the day when I get pulled over yes. by a police officer, yes. I am not afraid that he's going to kill me. And that is a privilege I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't care that my hair is short and that I'm a queer person. Um, if I reach for my wallet, I, they're probably not going to do anything about it. Right. Um, so I am only recently learning this because people are saying the names of people who have been murdered 
And I think the say their names concept is so important. It it's it's a fun thing to chant at a protest, but if you really boil it down and think about what it is, it humanizes something that is so grotesque. And you learn about these people and think and you're able to put yourself in their shoes and be like, would this have happened to me? And right. hell no, it would not have. Right. So it's just, I am learning that every day and I've only recently started learning that. And I'm also learning that I, I can't ask someone to teach me that just like I didn't ask someone to teach me my family history. You have to learn it for yourself because you'll right. exhaust other people if you ask them to teach you how to be a decent human being. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's like being a human being, it's kind of like learning how to walk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because, like, a lot of animals, they're pretty much set right up after they're born. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like horses and other animals like that. Um, as far as, like, walking. Yeah. Like, you know, like, prob- they probably have, like, you know, in their development, it's pretty, like, whoop. You know, yeah. right, right off the bat, Just boom. instinctual, yeah. You know this saying? is what like, I do. Like, boom, boom, boom. All right. You know what I'm saying? But for a baby, a human baby, mm-hmm. it's pretty uh, incapable of anything mm-hmm. um, right after birth. Mm-hmm. And it needs that, you know, nurture. It needs that, you know, trial by error type of, you know, walking, falling, mm-hmm. walking, falling. And um, that's why, again, I go back to having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again seeing you right interacting with you primarily on instagram social media before we we had a conversation and everything else for sure i already had my assumptions of you you know yeah. like like right off the bat right yeah. right off the rip and so it's just really interesting after like bumping into you know you um conversationally and getting to know a bit about you mm-hmm. more um those assumptions are adjusted. Yeah. Right. And and then you begin to wonder where did those biases Boom. come from? Boom! Right there. Like, yeah. Yeah. And we were taught those things, just like people all the time talk about how babies aren't born racist. You know, mm-hmm. you you uh you learn exactly. how to how to interpret input in the world. Exactly. And, um, and that's another part of the deconstruction thing is like if we you know it's. It's unfortunate when you were taught from a young age how to perceive people. And right. unlearning that is hard, but it can be done. Yes, it can. Yes, so, it can. Um, yeah. Okay. So a part of um, part of everything, just, um, just kind of to um, add to what you were saying mm-hmm. um, about this privilege um, that... You know, it's it's like access, right? It's, yeah. It's access um, mm-hmm. that you can look at it in a different ways. Access, right? Yeah. And so, um, and another thing, your dad, it you you said in the grand scheme of things, you know, like we didn't really struggle, right? Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that. However, I do want to just validate the struggle. You feel yeah. me? Yeah. Because it's it's valid, and I feel that oftentimes we could get so caught up in our own struggle we minimize other people's struggle yeah and i don't want to get into the business of comparing struggles or comparing yes. you know yeah. what I'm saying? because like we, we we could go on and on and on me myself being a haitian american right um i could i could be like i could put down the black lives matter movement right in their struggle mm-hmm. talk about haiti's struggle yeah right independence 1804 right yeah and all these other nations you have um you had uh, 
the Britain, right? The British or whatever, mm-hmm. like, yeah. You had them, and then you had France, and then you had America, right? Mm-hmm. 1804. Even though they were just starting, there. I mean, everybody was relatively young. Yeah. Except for the the Brits, right? Um, they've been in the game kind of like yeah. for, for, for a while. while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had the, the jump on everybody else. Mm-hmm. But those three main powerhouses, right? Mm-hmm. They did. They had an embargo against Haiti, right? I, I didn't know. See, I'm learning here, right? Because just because, I mean, they were slaves, and then now you guys want to come up and join this game of of like free people, right? Of yeah. Free nations, and all of a sudden, this like new nation, this new free nation, comes on the scene, and it's not, it's not, oh, it's not, it's not a white nation. It's a fully black nation, yeah, you yeah. know. For the most part and on top of that they used to be slaves and so it's like you know um an associate right comes on the scene and just through whatever becomes a ceo yeah you know it's just like what in the world and so it causes an upheaval so what i'm trying to say is is that um so since the inception of the nation of haiti it's been a struggle mm-hmm. and those three nations had been kind of not helpful yeah. To say it politely yeah. and nicely, right? Yeah. Not helpful. Um, recently, Haiti finished off paying um, France because they had borrowed some money, and I could be over here and be comparing struggles. Yeah. Also, it, interesting how our histories overlap in yes, ways. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which is really crazy because you wouldn't, I wouldn't, we would have never known no, that. Uh uh-uh. uh. Would have never known that. If we didn't take some time out and be like, you know what? Let's talk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, again, guys, you have to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, create safe safe uh, spaces to have these tough conversations. Mm-hmm. And kind of, you know, turn off the media, you know, yeah. for a little bit. And, and just, like, get outside your comfort zone. Because, yeah. because, like, just like me and Meredith, who knows the intersection that that exists between you mm-hmm. and a supposed enemy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're uh, maybe closer than, than you, you seem. think. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And your struggle could actually be a lot closer than you think. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of uh, to kind of finish things off uh, and feel free to say anything else uh, that's on your mind or your heart, but... You know, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, your privilege stance and your your, your take on that. Um, I have two things running through my mind right now. And so, like, they are in no particular order, right? How has supporting the BLM movement impacted you with your other, with the other layers of your life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's, it's really... Uh, it, at risk of like comparing oppressions I don't ever want to do it's that it's cool it's cool yeah um, like it, no. I, I feel like if just just from a support standpoint like mm-hmm. I if there was a, a a march for you know the Supreme Court you know I mean there's been a lot like denying transgender health care or um, five years ago Supreme Court uh allowed same-sex marriage all this stuff if there right. were marches uh celebrating or lamenting things that had happened um and it was just a bunch of queer people i would be okay cool this is family but where are my allies 
where are the people who aren't queer who are supporting me because and I've said this over I, I've said this to people over and over there's nothing quite like an ally because they are risking a lot to support you mm. it's I mean of course another queer person is going to support me because we're in the same you yes. know acro- long acronym you know? <laughs> so so I want to be that for the Black Lives Matter movement I want to be an ally because and I want to be a person who emotionally and maybe physically could stand between the hurtful things mm-hmm. and the hurt because people have done that for me. So I think allies are so important because it, it, I'm not saying they need to get the spotlight because they're sacrificing a lot, but it is, there's something to be said for someone who steps in and says, I don't want to see my fellow human being treated like this. Yes. And even though I don't look like you, I don't love the people you love. Yes. I'm going to stand beside you. Yes. So the same way I like having allies in the queer community, I want to be that for the black community and show up, mm-hmm. shut my mouth, be there as an ally. Um, so that's what I feel like my role is in that right. is to be an ally who's learning and being quiet and teaching other people. And so that's my take on that. Just finding that common denominator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And holding on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I don't think there's anything disagreeable with that. Right? Yeah, there's I don't think di- so. There's di- nothing di- disagreeable. However, you feel free to disagree with it. Yeah. You know? Feel free to disagree with it. But at the end of the day, um, that's your right. But I feel like it's also your responsibility to just respect yeah to respect that disagreement mm-hmm. right and, and to respect the life yeah that's on the other side mm-hmm. um and so yeah an ally mm-hmm. and i really hope i really hope that the black community right mm-hmm. starting with myself can really be an ally because right now it's cool the spotlight is on us yeah right? the spotlight mm-hmm. is on us I just hope after after things get, you know, kind of like settled and progress is, is being made and we're moving mm-hmm. forward, right? Not yeah. forgetting anything, but we're moving on, yeah. moving forward, yeah. that we can, given the platform that was made, we can reach, reach, reach out yeah. and mm-hmm. help, mm-hmm. you know, reach out and form allies mm-hmm. with our queer brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. And with... Um, are Latinos, right? Yeah. Oh gosh, that and then the this is also relevant. The Supreme Court just, you know, allowed DACA recipients to stay in the country when Trump oh, okay. was going to kick them out. So did not we, know that. Okay. Yeah. So and and I personally here in the city know several DACA recipients mm. who whose life was at risk. Yes. You know. Yes. And their livelihood here. So yeah. Again, That's crazy. Again, with the being an ally and trying to figure out what other people are going through but they're showing up this one person i'm talking about i see at these marches all the time right while at the same time in the back of her head she's wondering if she's going to get deported and and being at that protest yeah that's putting her high, that's high risk yeah i mean it's it's crazy anything can happen right yeah. like because because like i'm just thinking about her situation um uh, being at these protests you don't really know what what people are going to show up 
and try to jeopardize stuff. Yeah. And so she could literally be at the right place. Yeah. But the wrong person was there, and it's the wrong time, and the cops mm-hmm. get involved, and yeah, before you know, it, she's deported. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, to your point, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then I know there's a. Uh, a trans minister in town who's been to nearly every night of the protest too and with all the stuff that's been going on with trans rights like that's another thing that she's dealing with her own set of struggles but is still showing up yes so and i think that's important for us to all do for our other marginalized people in our community is to show up for them like i don't want to show up for things that only affect me because I want other people to come and, you know, give me, like, a shoulder to lean on, you know, if something happens to my community. So, um, yeah, it, at the end of the day, yeah, it's just about humanity. It is. It is because, um, yeah, melanin is human, yeah. right? Melanin is human. And, uh, you know, just to be frank and open, right, like, me personally, I don't, I don't agree with uh, a lot of... I shouldn't say a lot, but there's certain things that I don't agree with, um, like amongst the queer community, right? Amongst yeah. the trans community, yeah. Um, even amongst the Black Lives Matter community, right? Yeah. There's because, um, dang, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and say it. Um, Black Lives Matter um, with their abortion stance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they changed it recently. Yeah. But you know, like in, etc. Right. Yeah. And so and so. I don't want to appear fake, right? Yeah. But at the same time, in my journey of life, mm-hmm. right, I've come to realize that, you know what, though I disagree with certain things, the life behind that, right, the person, the mm-hmm. individual, that our difference doesn't define them. And our difference doesn't define me. Yeah, it d- doesn't define how we should treat them. Gosh, that That is the... I I would venture to say the most polarizing uh, issue in the country, and which is uh, abortion. Abortion, yeah, right. right. So, yeah, letting honestly, I haven't. I this is probably like one of the first times I'm having, (laughs) touching, just kind of scratching the surface on the issue with another person. Yeah, like me, I've never really talked about about abortion with another person. Yeah, it's it's hard because I mean, um, a lot of people let it define who they are, politically and socially. Um, I think you need to meet the person first and, and, it, and it is understandable. I respect you for if that's an important issue in your life, but I, but I also respect you even more perhaps for not letting it affect your allyship and how you support mm. different movements. And I, I appreciate you. Yeah. yeah. And because, you know, sometimes it's like it, it becomes such an us or them kind of thing that mm. you get written off completely if mm-hmm. Uh, if you're pro-choice or if um, you're pro-life yeah Yeah. something you know so yeah yeah, and that's that's a tough issue but having to but (laughs) at the end of the day you know the person sitting beside you I don't start a conversation with hello my name is Meredith are you (laughs) pro-choice um and if not or you you know right like hey my name is you know Meredith are you a Christian right 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 right, right. it's just like I really don't care (laughs) right so and honestly if it doesn't affect me personally uh and I also this quote I can't remember who said it someone really important I can't maybe a president or some but someone said um my liberties end 
where yours begin. So it's like, I understand that my liberties and why they're important, but if it starts to affect you, yes, that's, that's where, that's where I stand. Yes. It's like, I, I don't want my belief system to be so impressed on you that it affects, you know, you as a person. So that's just my opinion on that. But yeah, coexisting is, is kind of simple. You know, it should, I mean, it should be. Right. But, but I'm a chill person, so. You are super chill, <laughs> and I appreciate you for that. Um, well. And if you could just say at the end, of course, your ethnicity and that you're 100% human, unless if you're like 50% human and like 50% ninja. Like ninja. <laughs> I, don't, I think I'm 100% Cajun human. Yeah. Ninja. Yeah, Cajun, Creole, French Canadian, Acadian, <laughs> splash of Haitian. Who knows? Oh my God. I don't know. Dude, I'm actually um, interviewing this Haitian. Um, artist next week on monday oh cool yes that's awesome yes well, so i feel so much more connected to you now just 100%. knowing this, yeah but uh i guess yeah 100 percent human and um i think everyone around me is 100 percent human too so i've i treat them with the 100 percent of the respect i would want given to me beautiful yeah. Thank you so much, Meredith. And thank you guys for listening to, again, Melanin is Human. Um, until next time, peace out, guys.